All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. So on today's show, we're going to ask a, uh, an important question. And that is, what exactly does the left want from Republicans? Because I've seen some pretty interesting tweets coming out, not from some far left-wing bomb thrower, but essentially accusing the Republican Party of being a horrible terrorist organization or perhaps even worse, and the fact that a former director of the CIA concurred with these comments really, well, let's just say, irritated me, both as a veteran and as a sitting Republican. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go over what actually defines what the left considers to be an acceptable Republican. What, what do we need to provide them? that will cease these endless comments on Twitter, constantly accusing us of everything from bigotry to terrorism? And how do we actually get to a point of civil discourse? So we're going to discuss all of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. Everyone here at Making the Argument hopes that you walk away from this episode understanding more about where the left is coming from on these issues. And we hope that you walk away as well with more information to share, use, and have conversations that will lead to more constructive conversations. If that's the case, I hope you'll let us know in the YouTube comment section and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Good job, Hamilton. That was flawless. With us, my beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. Our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hello. He did some prognosticating on the last he uh, did. The last episode. So, yeah, you should go and check that out. Donut if you want theory. to know what's going to happen in midterms, he hates it when I do this because his actual predictions come a little bit closer to election sure. date, which is totally fair. But anyways. And then, of course, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Thank you, Nick. All right. Let's go ahead and start off with the uh, <laughs> the tweet that I think, I, I think, Christian, did you send this to me? I think yeah, yeah he I did. found this. So I mean, it blew up. It got 130,000 yeah, likes. Yeah, 130,000 likes from the Twitterverse, which by the way, Christian did some interesting research on this and Twitter if it was its own congressional district. It would be like in the top 5 bluest district. It it would be basically like Burbank. <laughs> so there you go. Whenever you go on Twitter, just understand you're you're pretty much talking to the sociology department at Berkeley. All right. So Edward Luce Lucy, I don't know. We'll go with Luce. I've covered, this is what he tweeted. I've covered extremism and violent ideologies around the world over my career. Have never come across a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing close. 130,000 likes. What I thought was even more interesting is then uh, General Michael Hayden, 
got on and he said, I agree. And I was the CIA director. All right. Um, let's put this, let's put this in perspective. So the comment is, have never come across a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing close. Well, I was probably in his mom's basement. He's not. He's the, uh, he's the editor at the Financial Times. This, I wish this was some random guy with four followers on a blog in his mom's basement somewhere. It's not. This is someone that is not even considered extreme left wing. This isn't HuffPost. This isn't some you know weird dude that managed to weasel his way into Vox, right? This is just a normal reporter. Normal reporter for the Financial Times, nonpartisan. Who's followed by the former? Yeah, CIA caref director. careful analysis. Let me put this in perspective on the claim. Again, never come across a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible than today's Republicans. Nothing close. That was the claim. So in two thousand eight. I'm on my second tour in Iraq. Now, keep in mind, General Hayden, as a former CIA director, would probably be aware of some of the organizations that we were going after Iraq and some of the specific names. And there was one guy in particular that I won't say his name, but um, he's not around anymore anyways. But he was on the top 10 list in Iraq. And the reason why he had made it on the top 10 list is because this guy liked to find orphaned children, which in Iraq means they didn't have protection from a family, and a lot of times mentally handicapped females. And what he liked to do was put suicide vests on them and then walk them over to the homes of his enemies or into crowded marketplaces and detonate them. <clears throat> there had been, I think, over 100 different operations launched to try to get this guy over several years. And the day that we found him, uh, he briefly attempted to fight back. That didn't go well for him. But when we had to bring him back into town, the entire village that had been terrorized by this guy for years came out and were celebratory because what this meant was, at least for a little while, their children were safe from the prospect of being blown up. Those were some of the people that we were we were hunting. I mean, regardless of what you feel about Iraq, Afghanistan, the wars, the national defense, regardless, there, there, were, there were moments like that where you felt like we, we did something good here. And I'm not, I'm not relishing in the idea of, of killing anyone. It was more about stopping the atrocities that were, were happening uh, to these people who were innocent. And that story could be repeated across a lot of different operational environments by a lot of people that did far more than I ever did. And General Hayden specifically. I mean, Luce might be just some idiot that apparently hides in a hole or does all of his research from the safety and under the blanket of protection provided by people far braver than himself. But Hayden should at least know better on some level. So to agree with this statement, when guys like Hayden were providing the intelligence that we were all going off of, we were putting on uniforms, going overseas. And by the way, anyone want to do a quick hand count within the special operations community, what you're probably going to find is a lot of guys that are a little bit more right of center. 
I'm not going to say Republican. I'm, I'm just going to say generally it's more of a conservative crew. The guys like General Hayden, this desk jockey, are depending on to go out there and actually hunt down the bad guys that his organization finds. Because Mike ain't doing it. And then come back and say that if you're associated with the Republican Party now, you now represent a political force more nihilistic, dangerous, and contemptible. And that nothing else he's seen is close? Well, damn, General, how far away were you from the actual fighting? How far away were you from the actual consequences of what were going on in some of these villages and what was happening to some of these people? Again, you don't got to like the war. You don't got to like U.S. national policy. You can do whatever you want. But don't you for one second sit there and try to use your credentials in that office to tell me that a member of the Republican Party now represents something worse than an organization that openly cheered people putting S-vests on children and blowing them up in order to achieve a political outcome. How dare you? I don't care what you did before you made that comment. You should be dead to everyone that put on a uniform and went over there and risked themselves to be able to catch the guys you were targeting. So, if that's what the Republican Party now represents... Let's go ahead and go into, all right, what would be more acceptable? What would be more acceptable for Ed here and Mike? What would they be more happier with? Probably Liz Cheney. Probably. Probably. Liz Cheney was a, you know, big fan of, of trash and other Republicans. But not only that, if you actually look at her voting record. She's a war hawk. Oh, my gosh. It's worth noting that this tweet was sent the day after she lost that primary in a landslide. It's also worth noting that... Um, uh, Hayden was the CIA director first off while you were over there. Yep. Second off, he was the CIA director at the end of the Bush era. Mm -hmm. He was the last CIA director that, that George Bush had. And he was the first one, uh, that Barack Obama had. Yep. He also, uh, was the guy that oversaw the beginning of what became the NSA spying scandal. Um, he has a long and storied track record of having absolutely no regard whatsoever for the fourth amendment. Um, one thing that I find very fascinating about his his record and and the the type of Republican that he would support is it's people like him that used to run the Republican Party. I really do view this as kind of like a petulant child that's kind of upset that things aren't going the way that they want. Um, it, it was it was Hayden Republicans that that were running the party for for decades after, after Ronald Reagan left, it was like for, for, for 20 years or so that they were running the party. They controlled the nomination contests for a very long time. They're the ones that gave us George Bush. And then there were, they were the ones that gave us John McCain. And then they were the ones that gave us Mitt Romney. Um, and the irony being that the second that they stopped winning, well, really they were losing that whole time. Right. But they were winning within the party, even though they would lose to the Democrats. You know what type of Republican they really want? They want a Republican that will lose to a Democrat. That's the type of Republican that they really want. Well, and, and you can see it in some of the comments. So, I mean, for instance, this is it, for any of you that remember how the media talked about Bush, hmm. right? Baby killer, bigot, racist, idiot, moron, sexist. I mean, Anything that you could imagine being thrown at a Republican today was thrown at George Bush. Sure. Um, war criminal, which I, I know people 
<laughs> I know people that will make some good arguments for for decisions he made that um, I mean were horrible with respect to some of the decisions with respect to war. But here's what's interesting is that now the Washington Post said why you should listen when George W. Bush defends the media. Joy Behar, the thing about this Donald Trump has now done something I thought he would never do. I like, I like the fact that George, I like George Bush now is what I'm trying to say. This is Joy Behar on The View. Um, and then uh, Aziz Ansari uh, from Saturday Night Live. Uh, what the hell has happened? I'm sitting here wistfully watching old George W. Bush speeches, just sitting there like, what a leader he was. He guided us with his eloquence. <laughs> right? And then you have the same thing, Ellen DeGeneres, all these other people, you know, the, the Guardian, all of them coming out, um, you know, saying all these nice things now. But, but here's what they said when he was president, how Bush's grandfather helped Hitler to rise to power. What has George Bush ever done for women? There was an internet hoax that said Bush had the lowest IQ of all presidents, which was widely spread as fact by liberal pundits. Um, one conservative car, uh, a commentator um, said, called it the Bush derangement syndrome. Um, I mean, you, you go through this, this whole thing again, what they were saying about, they, they, they liked George Bush as soon as there was a different Republican as the target. Donald Trump was the most hated Republican since Mitt Romney. Yeah. <laughs> who was the most hated Republican since John McCain. Yeah. who was the most hated Republican since George Bush. I mean, I can go all the way back. I'm, my my first taste of like American politics in the sense of like being engaged in the process and following things on the voting was the 2012 election. I was 18 at the time. And I remember the attack ads. I remember what, what Democrats were saying about Mitt Romney. I remember watching an ad from the Obama campaign. This wasn't even a super PAC. Basically going so far as to accuse Mitt Romney of giving people cancer. Oh, oh no. Hey, in fact, before we, before we do that, because we've got an article to actually prove that that was done. Let's also talk about, here's what the Huffington Post had to say about John McCain after he died. In addition to his lifetime of public service, McCain moved the needle on glioblastoma awareness. He dedicated his life to serving the country he loved. I have no doubt that Maverick's legacy will forever be an important model of leadership and civil discourse. And here's what the HuffPost thought about McCain back in 2008 when he was running against Obama for president. On the red carpet for McCain, Hitler, Stalin, and Jeffrey Dahmer. I swear the pre-debate coverage on E is totally awesome. Oh, no, it was Hitler's Satan. Yeah, Hitler's Satan. What did I say? Oh, Stalin? Oh, Satan. It was, it was I'm sorry, Satan himself. Stalin was just runner-up. But, um, yeah, on the red, so this is, again, before, after he died, and, and now it's, you know, now, now he's this wonderful guy that, that, you know, lovingly served his country. But before then, he was the equivalent of Hitler, Stalin, and, and a serial killer. All right, now let's go to, let's go to Romney. Because Romney's the, you know, the, the, la the latest favorite. Oh, they love him now. Oh, yeah. Um, but I can remember, again, I can remember when you were actually, when, when he was running, um, and, and you started to talk about this, right? It was, he was a sexist, he was out of touch. And, and the worst one was, is that he was literally killing people with cancer, when he was, I think, governor of Massachusetts. Um, and, and ran bank capital. The, the, yeah. the whole entire argument was basically that, oh, they didn't have these like safety precautions in or something, and and this person got cancer, and then they got laid off, and it was all Mitt Romney's fault. Yeah. And, um, it, it, but, but what's so incredible about this is that now he's, he's their hero. Yeah. But he's only their hero because he's doing what they want. You know, you know who 
Mitt Romney reminds me of, and some of these people in general reminds me of, this is something that only our Virginia audience will understand. He is their Emmett Hanger. <laughs> no, I and, and, and what I mean by that is when they vote their way or they make public statements that support the left-wing narrative – Right. Which is what they're doing right now. Mitt Romney is probably one of the most liberal Republicans in the Senate. And he routinely gives gives credence to the left by by just attaching his name to something. Therefore, oh, it's bipartisan. Oh, well, because Mitt Romney signed off on it. It's bipartisan or it's bipartisan because Liz Cheney signed off on it. But I guarantee you and we saw this. Right. I was about to say, I guarantee you, if he ran for president, they'd hate him. He did run for president and they did hate him. And they did say he was the worst human being to have ever run for president. I, and I'm now old enough at the time I was like stunned in 2012. I was like, why are they saying this stuff about Mitt Romney? The guy is like the most bland milk toast person ever. But then four years later, I saw them say the exact same thing about Donald Trump. And then I went back to the, the archives and I saw, you know, the clips are all on YouTube. You can go find what people were saying about George Bush back in the early 2000s. I was too young at the time to really be paying attention to it, but the archives are still there. You can go and see what people said about these people. It's the same same script over and over and over again. It's the same exact stuff. It, it, it doesn't matter who the person is. And this is why I feel like the Republican Party base has just moved beyond people like Mitt Romney and John McCain and Liz Cheney because they look at these people and say, well, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Well, and I think we, we've, also, we, we've also recognized something else. And that is, is when, when you get a Republican that gets a little bit too cozy – with chasing favorable headlines from a media that fundamentally does not like Republicans or conservatives, it, it ends up it ends up bleeding over into policy, right? It, it's never something where it's never something where a Republican is just criticizing a particular comment or a particular approach or a particular style, right? It's not something where Mitt Romney is just you know questioning some of Trump's comments or style. There, there's a lot of conservatives that I respect. I've done it. There are things that that Trump has done in his past or said where I'm like, that's wrong. I don't, I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. I won't. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that it's okay because I happen to agree with him on policy. But what we've noticed is that people that really make a, a career out of that, right. And that was one of McCain's things. McCain was a darling of the media because he was usually the first to, you know, bash other Republicans and Cheney and Romney were as well. And so many people thought that, Oh, well, gosh, if McCain gets the nomination, at least we'll get a little bit of a break from the press. I remember when a member of the press was standing, I think it was Keith Olbermann at the time, who said that McCain needs to immediately suspend his campaign for president and get rid of all of these white supremacists within his campaign structure. McCain. John McCain. I here's a here's a better example. Um notice how and the reason I brought up the Emmett Hanger, Hanger example was because of Medicaid expansion, right? Yeah. He, he was like the Republican yeah. that pushed that through, and he got tons of praise oh, yeah. in, in the press and the media. But I guarantee you if he was the Republican nominee for governor instead of Glenn Youngkin, they would have crucified him just like they yeah. tried to do oh, Glenn yeah. Youngkin. But that's because it's not it's not because of how they vote that, that makes them mm-hmm. like them. Um, they actually only like Republicans who criticize whatever Republican is in power. Or so, vote the way that the left wants on that issue. But the second that you're not doing and, – and, and, and here, here's what I meant by that. So somebody like Liz Cheney or John McCain or Mitt Romney, when they vote with the left on something or when they, they attack a Republican or they provide some firepower to the left to attack other Republicans – Suddenly, they're a hero. They're a maverick. They're they're a patriot. They're it's putting a fair country weather above party. ally. It's a fair weather ally. But the second Joe Manchin 
or Kirsten Cinema does the exact same thing from the left yeah. and breaks with the Democratic Party, torpedoes a giant, you know, multi-trillion dollar omnibus bill, or votes for a conservative nominee for the Supreme Court. Suddenly, they're a radical. Yeah. They're a, they're a traitor to the de- like. Like, notice how how the press treats Mitt Romney versus how they treat Cinema yeah. or Mansion. Yeah, and and it goes back to something that I think you have said before about how there's an inverse relationship between how much you agree with somebody and how they get treated. And this is a problem that we have within the conservative movement, but I think that there's actually a bigger role to be said for the entire country. And and basically the argument that you were trying to make was, I'm going to reserve 90% of my attacking, so to speak, towards somebody that agrees with me 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm only going to attack somebody 10% of the time who only agrees with me 10% of the time, which is why you get a situation where some of our most conservative people get just the worst flack. Like, look at how somebody like Rand Paul gets treated in the conservative movement or how Thomas Massey does. And they're like the two most conservative members in the entire Congress. And likewise, look, and there's things about her that I like, but let's be honest, she is still a Democrat. Somebody like Tulsi Gabbard gets this darling treatment from the right. Because it's kind of viewed as she's a convert, right? Yeah, and so yeah. we treat her. It's the seeker-friendly version of politics. And and, and again, that, that again, that's not to say that like I hate Tulsi Gabbard. She's fine. It's the Joe no, no, Lieberman yeah. effect. But, yeah. but like now, now apply that to the you know that that's just like within the Republican Party or the conservative movement. But now apply that to the national spectrum. Look at how the media treats somebody like Cinema or Mansion, oh, who yeah. who's ultimately still vote with them ninety percent of oh, the time. They treat them like they treat them like a traitor. And then look at how they treat somebody like Mitt Romney, who yeah. at the end of the day, Mitt Romney still probably votes more conservative than those two, but oh, yeah. he's he's a Republican. And so we're gonna we're gonna treat him a little bit better than they, those two they, until with, he becomes a threat, and then we're gonna destroy him. The the, the yeah, the, the treatment within the press is is designed not to report on a particular incident. It is designed to encourage or discourage certain behaviors. Yes. And so you're absolutely that, that's a really good observation that again when when Romney goes against Republicans he's a hero he's a maverick he's he's going against the grain he's voting his conscience when Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema do that you know they've been bought off or they're cowards or they're you know it, it, because again it's not about it's not about the individual action of standing up to you know your party or whatnot it is about um, the 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 press having a a um, Preference. Yeah, preference with respect to the policy outcome and then conditioning the reporting around that. But but ultimately, again, what I what I think this really comes down to is I, I mean, I just listed off three prominent Republicans, all three of them presidential candidates, one of them actually president for two terms. And now they're all, you know, now they're all wonderful people on the left's vision, but they weren't at the time. And if they were to run again tomorrow, they would all become racist, bigoted, right. sexist, homophobes. Uh, because they only they only like them. I'm going to say this one more time. The only reason they like some of these Republicans is because some of these Republicans are willing to sit there and criticize yeah. the current Republicans in office. It, if if Donald Trump is in office and George Bush is criticizing Donald Trump, they love him. And the the one thing I want to point out is that here within each party structure. It's totally understandable that the Republicans would love it when Tulsi Gabbard is yeah. criticizing Biden. And it's totally understandable that the Democrats would love it when Romney is criticizing yeah. the those sitting Republicans. 
What's not understandable is now the right does not have the media carrying water for them in this way. So right. the media basically responds as the core of the Republic or sorry, the Democratic Party. So the difference between, you know, it's totally understandable when the parties do this. Yeah, sure. It's not understandable when the press does it on behalf right. of a yeah. party. One of the parties. And, yeah. the, and it, it only does it on behalf of one side. Nick, why is it politically expedient for the left to fall in love with Mitt Romney or support him in these situations? Well, I, I think Tina Tina pointed something out because the left is not in love with Lisa Murkowski, right, or um, Susan Collins, um, or, or even some other, you know, Jeff Flake when when he was in the Senate. They weren't as in love with those guys who who would still, you know, especially like Susan Collins. Susan Collins will oftentimes, I mean, she is. She barely votes with the Republicans more than she. She's does one of the most liberal senators. Yeah. But you know why they but, don't like her? I'm about to get to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to hear what you have to say because it, it might be it's, different from it's, me. It's, it's well, it's two things. One, one reason why they don't like her is because they know she's in a district that they think they could win, right? And so they they want her to lose. But the reason I think it, is what Tina pointed out is that Susan Collins might vote more with the Democrats, but she's not as vocal about coming out and criticizing and, and condemning Republicans in the same way that like John McCain or Mitt Romney are. Sure. Or and, she'll, she'll criticize the, she does this. In fact, the left actually mocks her for this. She'll yeah. like, I remember during the Trump presidency, he would say or do something and she would put out a statement being like, I don't agree with this action, but, but, very rarely would you see Susan Collins, and this is not me defending Susan Collins. No, no, yeah. But like, very rarely would you see Susan Collins attack Trump. Yeah, you would see her usually attack his behavior or his actions or something that he said. But very rarely would it be a personal type yeah. of attack. Yeah. And then the left would actually mock her for that and say, "Oh, here comes Susan Collins with another I'm very concerned statement." Yeah, because they need yeah. to visibly see the disdain. Yeah. They want they yeah. want Republicans who are sickened by other Republicans. I think that you kind of glossed. You did mention it, but I think you kind of glossed over. I think a much bigger reason why they're less inclined to give somebody like Susan Collins a break is because they think they can beat her. Yeah. They, yeah. they almost did. They thought that they had beaten her in 2020 and she ended up pulling off a massive upset win yeah. in Maine. Well, to, and it's, to, but also if you look at like Mitt Romney and like Utah, Right. Right. They're not going to replace Mitt Romney with Elizabeth Warren in right. Utah, right? So they, they've got to co-opt as much as they can. So that's a huge victory for them because they could have another Mike Lee in Utah. Yeah. They don't want that. I think it works both ways, and Republicans or liberty-minded individuals get excited about Tulsi Gabbard because we see her as a vessel or an opportunity to pull more people who are on the left but maybe opening their eyes to more liberty ideas. So let, let's, okay, again, let, in, in keeping with the theme of the general podcast, Podcast. I, I think Tina's right. We got to be intellectually honest. Both parties do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. The difference is, one, is that one party doesn't have 75% of right. the media joining yeah. in on the process. Right. And and all of this is to again, the common theme is what do Democrats, what what are these people that are claiming that the Republican Party is now worse than ISIS? All right. What is what do they want? What do they expect then? Right? So, okay, it's 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 George Bush, who you called a racist, bigoted homophobic, you know, stupid, yeah, stupid, you know, whatever. Or, or, okay. Maybe it's John McCain who you call the racist, sexist, homophobic bigot. You know what? No, no, no. I know who it is. It's Mitt Romney who you call the racist, homophobic, sexist. Mm -hmm. bigot. There is no, uh, I'm sorry. The, the moment someone stands up to, to challenge, like they're an actual challenge. All of a sudden that's the line. That's the narrative. That's what they are. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But 
So let's get let's get beyond this. Let's get beyond individual Republicans. Let's say that maybe the real issue here, maybe the thing that's a differentiating factor, maybe the Democrats come back and say, well, yeah, but Nick, that was all pre-Trump. We're living in a post-Trump world now. And now our biggest concern is things like election integrity and protecting our democracy. Okay, well, let's, let's consider that. What did, just out of curiosity, so Trump gets elected in 2016. Mm-hmm. And obviously in 2020, a lot of discussion about election fraud, a lot of discussion about elections being stolen. And this was the first time that that really happened in American politics. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. What happened? In fact, let's go to um, let's go to the the next uh, headline here. Oh, look at this! A challenge by this is twenty. This is <laughs> interestingly enough. This is January sixth, twenty seventeen. A challenge by several House Democrats to Donald Trump's election on Friday collapsed when they failed to persuade uh, a single Democrat senator to join their protest. The short-lived, doomed-from-the-start effort spearheaded by Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas and Barbara Lee of California came during a joint meeting in the House and Senate to certify Trump's electoral college victory. So you had prominent members, prominent Democratic members of the House that stepped forward to challenge the certification of the election results. Not to mention the fact that at the same time all of this was going on, Right, right after uh, Trump got elected, you had violent riots. I, I don't mean peaceful protests. You had people throwing Molotov cocktails yeah. and Smashing setting things businesses. on fire. Nationwide. Right? But specifically in D.C. In D.C. So the response to Donald Trump getting elected was for Democrats to challenge the certification of the election and for people to engage in violent protests and riots in Washington, D.C. Now, were, were those... Were those right-wing extremists? Nope, nope, nope. These were these were left-wing people that were conducting this. Again, Molotov cocktails, like setting stuff on fire, and not just in D.C., but there was as Tina mentioned, nationwide, all over the country. All right, but maybe it stopped there. Maybe they got it under control. You know, it's not like they went into the the Capitol building or anything like that. You know, they set their fires outside and and they hurt their people. You in know, different in cities, private businesses in their private businesses and stuff like that. So maybe it all stopped right there. Oh, no, it didn't. Stacey Abrams, you know, the the person that's still going around claiming to be the legitimate governor of Georgia. So if you're you're gonna tell me, if you're gonna tell me that this is just so egregious, that this this is representative of something so fundamental to our country and our way of life, my question is, why is it that in 2017, when this 2016 and 2017, when this was going on, why is it was it okay then? Why was it acceptable then? Because even though, and you had Democrats that disagreed with it, I, I will give full credit. Let's be intellectually honest. Not every Democrat agreed with this approach, but a lot of them did, and a lot of others provided excuses for why what they were doing was just something that was born out of passion and genuine fear and concern, right? It wasn't let's lock people up without trial for over a year. It was, no, 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 these these are people that are just, these are just genuinely concerned. So you, you don't get to tell, again, you don't get to tell conservatives who watched all of this taking place for three to four years that, oh, no, 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 it all started on January 6th. You don't get to tell them that. 
All right, let's move to the next one here. And that is, okay, well, maybe, maybe what this is really about is violence. Maybe they're willing to admit that, okay, we get it. You guys wanted to challenge the electoral college, uh, you know, you know, certifying the results. You guys, you know, claim there was voter fraud. And yeah, we did the same thing in 2016. And yeah, we did the same thing about Russian intervention. And then we did multiple impeachment trials to try to prove that fact. And, well, and then the we same and, thing then, with Bush. and then we did the same thing with, you know, Stacey Abrams and all that. So yeah, okay, maybe both sides have claimed that elections were stolen. But it's the violence, right? It's the going in and and you know, this going into the Capitol, this insurrection. Right? That's something that that is unique. And look, going into the Capitol and that thing, I I came out on January 7th of that year and said, anybody, anybody who engaged in, in, in violence, uh, vandalism, uh, trespassing, you broke the law. You broke the law. You, you actually hurt whatever case you were trying to make. And, 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 it, was, and it was wrong on a number of levels. And I'm, and I'm not going to excuse that. I'm not going to excuse that because I wanted Trump to beat Biden in the election. You don't get to engage in that sort of behavior. But what I'm confused about is that the same people that you know are, are rightfully looking at that with indignation were saying back when it was, oh, I don't know, um, go back one article. When it was Kamala Harris, who was then vi- you know, the vice presidential candidate, who was tweeting out and backing a bail fund that was freeing people that had been arrested for rioting. So these were people that went around, did tens of billions of dollars of damage to American cities all over the country, set things on fire, looted stores. Made autonomous zones in, in, in cities and well, took over police stations. Kamala Harris was going on there and saying, like, here's a fund that you should all support in order to, to get them bailed out. Right. So th- this wasn't this wasn't like it, it, as much as as much as you may consider Donald Trump's rhetoric in some way. Responsible for the reaction that took place on January 6th, he actually got up when it started to take place, like when the when the when they actually started to storm the council, he actually got up, I think it was the next day and, and condemned that. Kamala Harris was saying, here's a fund to help bail these people out of jail. But let's let's go to the let's go to this next one. Because may, maybe now, maybe now what you're saying is, well, that's that Nick. That's different. She was saying that some people could have been wrongly arrested, and so she wanted to provide legal aid. She wasn't telling people to break them out. Legal aid, okay. And it wasn't an insurrection, Nick. They were rioting. They were rioting for something they believed to be just. Well, Seattle Mayor Durkin, Chaz, and remember, this was the this was the autonomous zone that was set up in Seattle has a block party atmosphere and could turn into a summer of love. I remember her saying that. Now, to to put this in perspective, if you want to talk about something that's uh, an insurrection or has an insurrection quality to it, these were areas that took place in Seattle and I believe Portland where people took over, you know, like city blocks. In some cases, kicked out the police kicked out other like private business owners and set up what they called autonomous zones where they were the only recognizable legal entity within that zone. And they could control who entered, who left. And what happened inside of it. People were murdered. People were sexually assaulted within this zone. And the police were not allowed to enter. 
And the mayor, the local authority was like, you know what? This, this is, it's a block party atmosphere. It's, you know, seriously? Let's go to this last one. And we're going to play a little round of guess who said that and what were they talking about? I can, can, can I say one more yeah, thing yeah, before we get to it. this? There is a story that I think really gets to the point of, of the left's hypocrisy when it comes to election fraud. Um, many people don't remember what happened after the 2004 election. Um, so when George Bush won Ohio, by the way, he won Ohio with 118,000 vote margin. Yeah. Just keep that in mind because Georgia was decided by something like 16,000. Arizona was decided by something like 20,000. He won Ohio by a, over 100,000 votes. It was a two-point margin. That, I, I, by Ohio standards back then, that was basically a landslide. Yeah. Um, nowadays, Ohio is much redder, but back then it was the swing state, right? And when the electoral votes came up to Congress after Bush won the election— Senator Barbara Boxer from California objected to certifying Ohio's 20 electoral votes, which had that passed Congress, John Kerry would have won the presidency because Ohio's electoral votes would have been thrown out and therefore John Kerry would have won. And when she objected to certifying Ohio's electoral votes, there was um, there was 31, I believe there was 31 Democrats in the House of Representatives that, that voted with her. Um, to to throw Ohio's electoral votes out of the counting block. And after that was over, John Kerry himself, uh, like a, a couple years after the 2004 election, he sat down and he gave an interview to Rolling Stone and he said, quote, and I'm going to read this off verbatim. He said, the widespread irregularities make it impossible to know for certain that the Ohio outcome reflected the will of the voters. And then the head of the National Democratic Committee at the time, who was also, by the way, a presidential candidate who lost the nomination to John Kerry in the 2004 Democratic primaries, Howard Dean, he said, and this is, quote, verbatim, I'm not confident that the election in Ohio was fairly decided. We know that there was substantial voter suppression and the machines were not reliable. It should not be a surprise that the Republicans are willing to do things that are unethical to manipulate elections. That's what we suspected has happened. That was the head of the Democratic Party. Quote, like, like no alterations of the quote there. Direct quote of him saying that literally that an election in Ohio that was decided by 100,000 votes, it wasn't even close, was wow. stolen from the Democratic nominee. And then the Democratic nominee himself saying, I don't think that it that the outcome in Ohio reflected the will of the voters. Really? You lose him by 100,000 votes that didn't reflect the will of the voters? So I'm sorry, but for them to say Donald Trump has shattered historical precedent, this is an unprecedented attack on our democracy. Oh, so, so when Republicans object to a vote uh, certification, that's an attack on our democracy. But when Democrats object to a vote certification 15 years ago, well, that's upholding democracy. Despite the fact that the vote margin in Ohio was something like five times the vote margin that it was in Arizona or Georgia— 
And and so like, just spare me the fake outrage. This is a consistent pattern because even the year before that, remember all the hanging hanging chads in Florida with oh, Bush? I, I remember that, that the, Gore sued Gore sued so many times that it went all the way to Supreme. Everybody forgets this that like I, the narrative that they tell you now is the Supreme Court stepped in at the eleventh hour and handed the vote to Bush. At no point in the recount process in Florida in two thousand did Bush trail Gore. At no point. He, they did something like five separate recounts because Gore kept asking for one and he was legally entitled to one after another. And then finally, he asked for a statewide manual hand recount. And at no point in this entire process did he ever take the lead against George Bush in Florida. And then finally, it, Bush, Bush fought back legally. Gore mm. has asked for something like five recounts at this point, and they had granted every single one to him. And then Bush was like, it's like late December. At no point have you taken the lead against me in Florida. This is getting ridiculous. And so mm. they fought each other legally until it got to the Supreme Court. And then the Supreme Court said, no more of this nonsense. Gore has already exhausted all of his legal appeals. And that's what gave it to Bush. But, but now the narrative is instead that, oh, it was the Republican Supreme Court that stepped in and stole the election from Gore. He never led in Florida. Yeah. Never led in any but of the recounts. The point is, this has been a consistent pattern yeah. for the last 20 years with the Democrats doing this every single time. However, if you were to talk to a Democrat, they would act as though they have absolutely never done this. They won't even concede that they did this. Yeah. They will act like they never did this. And the reason why is because history started five minutes ago on almost every single topic with the left. Almost every single topic. Because you can, you can find leftists who have flip-flopped Time and time again, consistently through time, the only thing consistent about the Democrats is that they will they will flip on everything. They they'll act like they take a stand on one thing and then they flip a few years later. Well, the moment they, they I, I've said this before, if you want to know what the Democrats want to do in two to five years, just look at whatever they start the sentence with. Nobody wants to X. Whatever X is. That's the moment they, they get do. power, they're doing it within two to five just years. Just go to Twitter and you'll see what they yeah. want to do. I, I'm, so I'll that, end with this. Um, I, I just want you to ask yourself, you in general, rhetorically, ask yourself what the Washington Post would publish if the head of the Republican National Committee said there was substantial voter suppression and the machines were not reliable about the 2020 election. Yeah. Because that is a direct quote from the head of and, the Democratic you know, Committee you know from what, 2004. And you know what didn't happen in 2004? I'll tell you what didn't happen in 2004. You didn't have multiple states going into special sessions and in some cases against their own state constitutions, radically changing the voting laws within their country and doing so so rapidly and so outside of normal procedure that you actually had judges stepping in after the election and saying, you shouldn't have done it that way. You're going to have to fix it. We're not going to overturn anything, but you shouldn't have done it that way, and you got to fix it. That didn't happen well, in they, 2004. They used COVID. That didn't happen in 2016. They used COVID as the excuse for doing it. That's correct. They used COVID excuse for doing it. But there, there's no clause in most of our constitutions that I'm aware of that says that, hey, uh, here's the rules by which the government has to act, uh, unless there's COVID, in which case just throw this all out and do whatever you want. Right. That that doesn't exist and it doesn't exist for good reason. But let, listen, let's do something. We're going to we're going to get we got one more thing to go to. But before that, I want to go into something that Tina Tina came in this morning. She's like, we've got to do this. And I do what I told. So 
We're going to play a little game. Since when? <laughs> I do what I, well, I do what I've told when uh, Tina told I've me. I've heard about this. I wasn't on this uh, this show the last time that you guys did this. Oh, Who you said, weren't. So you get to be a part of it. This is my first time. So I'm you like don't get to do what Hamilton does, which is just guess Obama. You, you've got to <laughs> let it. You have to let it simmer for a second so that the yeah. listeners can. Yeah. So I'm ready. Gonna I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off the quote, right, or the statement, and you've got to tell me. You know, was this about January 6th? Was it about, you know, other riots that may have taken place? But more specifically, you got to give me some indication of who said it. Okay? Okay. All right. No cheating? No cheating. If you look this up on your laptops or phones, like Hamilton did last time. That one time. Yeah, that's where the Alexander Hamilton came out in Hamilton. Oh, gosh. All right. All right. Who said protests were supposed to be peaceful? No, no, that's that's the whole thing. They actually quote, "Who said protests were supposed to be peaceful?" Ah, oh, man. See, if it was, if it said mostly peaceful, <laughs> I would have been able to answer it with CNN. All right. <laughs> so, who is the person that said that? That that is the full quote. I'm not saying who said protests were supposed to be peaceful. I'm saying their quote was, "Well, who said protests were supposed to be peaceful?" Oh, who oh. said? Yes. I, I'm gonna say Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Who said Tina says, Tina says Obama? Peaceful. Oh my gosh! It it clearly was some guy working for the Boogaloo Boys, right? Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, I, I. Oh man, that that's got to be like like some like city mayor, like Lori right. Lightfoot or something like that. Lori Lightfoot. Ooh, that might be a Barack good one. Obama. Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. Chris Cuomo. CNN's Chris Cuomo showcased his ignorance of the First Amendment in June when dismissing the idea that militant protests sweeping the nation in the aftermath of George Floyd's death were illegal, where he said, please show me where it says protesters are supposed to be polite and peaceful. In fact, there was a really famous social media thing where this guy was eating dry top ramen and like a like a dirty T-shirt. And he, he played this quote and then he goes. It's right here in the Constitution, Mr. Cuomo. <laughs> it was funny. All right, let's look at another one here. Let's find, an, let's find another one. Um, okay. Notice how we got it. All right, which news agency Which news agency described a protest? Maybe it was January 6th. Maybe it was something else. I don't know. But they described it as fiery, but mostly oh, peaceful. Oh, okay. D- there oh, we go. That's It's CNN. definitely not. It's not what January it? 6th. You say CNN. CNN. Who CNN. do you say? I agree that it, I'll go with MSNBC. MSNBC, just, just CNN, CNN. It was CNN. Yeah, I is, knew that this, one. Well, I knew a, it couldn't be January sixth. No, 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 no. They, well, the, the funniest part—they would was, never say that was mostly peaceful. This was actually on the the Chiron at the bottom of the screen, and you've got a reporter there. And he's sitting there. And he's explaining. He's got his mask in the background. <laughs> Literally on fire. It was like a store or something like that that was just literally like all and it says, completely up in flames. And then the Chiron says, fiery, but mostly peaceful protests after police <laughs> shooting. Oh, my god. Well, gosh. I mean, it's, it's pretty peaceful to set fire to people's businesses in your community, right? Well, I guess so. That's, I mean, notice according how, to CNN. All right, both so, of these things are from the media, and they're both from CNN. <laughs> so here we go. Here's another one. Um, <laughs> who said, who said, Destroying property, which can be replaced, is not violence. AOC. AOC. Oh man, that's got to be like from one of the the like. Super I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm going to narrow this down a little bit. It was not an elected official. Oh, shoot. Nor was it a member of the media, but it was a prominent leftist thinker. Oh, wait. What? Someone that wants their particular brand of U.S. history. To be taught in 
Oh, skulls. really? So is it Ibram X. Kendi? Ibram X. Kendi? I, I don't have an answer. I'm going to go with Al Sharpton. Let's go with Al Sharpton. Well, he was, well, well I guess technically he's not an elected official anymore. I'm, I'm gonna, well, that, I'm that just told me Cole I was wrong. Hannah Jones okay. of the 1619. Uh, okay. I knew it was one of those, like... That's right. Destroying property weird. which can be replaced is not violence. Does that mean destroying property that can't be replaced is violence? Like, how does this... Uh, you know what we should all do? Never. <laughs> I'm willing to bet... Don't incite someone, violence on the I'm, show. I'm willing to bet that if somebody showed up to Nicole Hannah Jones' home and set it on fire... And she, said, I'm you will, can replace it. I'm willing to bet. And, and said, well, no, no, you can replace this. This isn't violence. You Don't have worry insu- about it. Remember the argument? You have insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, there's, of course, CBS's I mean, Vladimir are- Dethra's replied, it's a great point. Thank you. <laughs> BLM probably bought her a second house anyway. Here's what's yeah. funny to me. Just, just a little side note. Words are violence now to the left. But setting fire. But actual violence is yes. not violent. <laughs> yeah. Setting fire to things is not yeah. violence. If you say something that I consider to be hurtful based off of something that I believe to be my core identity, that language is violence. Which but, means I can set your house on fire. But if I set if I set the uh if I set the local guy's, you know, gas station on fire, eh, it's replaceable. That's replaceable. Yeah. Well, he had it coming anyway, right? Because he's a business owner. Okay, let's look at uh let's look at this. Um, <laughs> okay. So the riots that were taking place, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you this one. This is not about January 6th, but this person said, and let's not forget if anyone is judging this, I'm not judging this. This is how this country was started Ooh. in reference to the violent riots that were taking place. Um, Oh, basically equating like the tea party and yeah. stuff well, like here, that. Let me, let me do it. I'll put it this way. Our party was started because the Boston Tea Party, rioting. So do not get it twisted and think this is something that has never happened before and this is so terrible and these savages and all of that. This is how this country was started. Okay. Who said it? Before we say who said it, yeah. here's why that's ridiculous yeah. is because that tea was was being forced onto onto them by the government yeah. and this was a demonstration against the government and they specifically Christian you it was out. they they broke the locks on the ships and they replaced the locks because that was private property yeah. the only thing they destroyed was the government by the way and it's worth noting that the tea at the time was a state yeah. monopoly East India right. trading the, 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 the British government had granted a a, a public monopoly right, right. to the trade of, of this good and that was the thing they were protesting against was the fact that the government was destroying free markets but yeah. the point is is that they were targeting just what they wanted to target and yeah. that would be that government entity and they went out of their way not to target private citizens or to or, hurt anybody yeah. or hurt anybody who was on the on the private side of things yeah so that's why this is ridiculous is because these people went and targeted their community uh like shops and stuff just completely destroyed things no, burnt you, things you know down. what's really ridiculous is the same person that said that thinks those people were all white supremacists yeah, yeah. like i'm i'm sick <laughs> and tired of people you like remember a few years ago after Charlottesville, when you had all these people on the left that were comparing the the um you know the the men that stormed Normandy to the original anti-fascists, yeah. you all think those people were evil racist bigots. Yeah. I, I you I can't tell you how many times people on the left have like just described anybody that was born before they were 
as being this irredeemably racist, yeah. segregationist. No, and, and, as much as, and as much as I love this particular rabbit trail, the question was... <laughs> Who said it? Our Who country it? was started because the Boston Tea Party rioting. So do not get a twist and think this is something that has never happened before and that this is so terrible and these savages and all that. This is how this country was started. Who said it? Oh, my God. Wasn't an elected official. Was not an elected official. It's got to be somebody else in the media again, then. I have no idea. Huh. I'd like to uh, pull the audience. Yeah. <laughs> it was. If we were live streaming right now. Okay, I'll give that. you a hint. CNN. Again? Was it Chris Cohn? Don Who Lemon. Don Lemon. <laughs> Don Lemon. Nice. Don Lemon, that expert on the American. When we climate. start live streaming the podcast, folks are going to love this. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to need to ask right. for a yeah. lifeline. Here we go. Here we go. Wait a second. All right. This one, I'm not going uh, <laughs> to. There was a. Uh, okay, let me see here. I'm trying to give you. Okay, there was a an author from the New York Times, and the title of the article was Help Me Find Trump's Anarchists in Portland. And so this was part of this, this argument that when Trump was accusing anarchists of being involved in a lot of these riots and whatnot, the media was coming out and going, well, he's making these statements without any proof, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then this, this author wrote this article and then in the article says, okay, I'll fess up. Sure, there were anarchists and Antifa activists in the Portland protest, just as there were radiologists and electricians, lawyers, and mechanics, right? So in the article... He validated exactly what Trump was saying, even though the headline of the article makes you think that, well, this is all just ridiculous. So who said that? Who said that? What what uh, author or what uh, journalist from the New York Times said that? I can't remember any journalists that I, are left at the New York Times. Yeah, I, I it was no Nickel, Nick Kristoff. After oh, I know him. Yeah, uh, yeah. After after the New York Times fired like half their their editorial board because it's a as Trump said they're a failing newspaper. Um, it, it, it's, well, we got, we got other ones in here. Like, you know, uh, pick the best, pick the best couple ones. I think, we're, I think we're, we're, we're done with this. We're done with this round. You guys failed. Um, mayor of Seattle said, Seattle is fine. Don't be so afraid of democracy. This is when Chaz and all of them were like setting up down there and they had violent riots and like police chiefs were <laughs> being told not to do anything. Um, what, okay, here, okay. we got one more, one more elected official. Okay. Um, let me see here. This person was shrugged when asked about a militant mob tearing down the statue of legendary explorer Christopher Columbus in Baltimore in June 2020. This elected official shrugged and said, people will do what they do. People. Federal federal official, federally elected official, people member of Congress. People will do what they yep. do. So this is an elected official. Mm -hmm. Elected official, member of Congress. Oh. Mm. Can you give us the chamber? Could you, could you narrow it down just a little bit more? House chamber. It's Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi? That's my guess. I can't even. No, I'm Someone sorry. from the squad. Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Journalist referencing the now. removal the of a Columbus leader. statue. Journalist referencing the removal of a Columbus statue in Baltimore. Shouldn't that be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing it into the harbor? Pelosi. People will do what they do. You know, interestingly enough, when somebody came into her office, uh, sat down and took a picture of them with their feet on the table, she did not respond with, well, you know, people do what they do. No, that was, uh, that was different. So look, here's the bottom line. All right, let's sum all this up because we, we still got a couple of the things to talk about. 
I'm not, I, I refuse. I'm, I'm at the point right now where I refuse to be lectured by people, mainstream people, right? Not, we're not, we're not talking about random crazies here. We're talking everyone that we cited was essentially a mainstream Democrat candidate, elected official, member of the party or member of the uh, mainstream left, left leaning press, even though they, many of them would not consider themselves left wing. They would just consider themselves objective journalists. When it has come to everything from the candidates that they praised today, who they all called racist bigots yesterday, when it comes to excusing violence directed toward innocent people, right? I, I'm sorry that the, the, the person in many cases, the, the person that they came to this country, set up their small business that watch it burn for something they had nothing to do with. For, for the people that were, were harmed, innocent people, bystanders that were harmed as a result, to watch the same people talk about this as, hey, this is all just a part of the process. And then come back later with this sense of righteous indignation at every piece of rhetoric that they don't like or action that they don't like. And again, some of them, I agree. Like some of the comments that the left will make about rhetoric coming from some people on the right or actions coming from some people on the right, I, I've come out and said, yeah, I don't like that or I think that's too far. I think that's too much. The difference is, is that I don't mind saying it when it happens because it's objectively true that that's bad. I have a huge problem with the same people that have perpetuated this sort of activity, whether it be rhetorical or whether it actually be physical action. Then coming out and just, again, commenting with all of this manufactured righteous indignation as if this is so unprecedented and had never been seen before. No, it has been seen before. You've been doing it in some cases You've been doing it and encouraging it for years, if not decades. And what you are now finding is that you have convinced other people that this is the way it's done. When you are saying that people that riot through a town and burn it down and then set up autonomous zones, when you refer to them as heroes, when you refer to them as being on par with the founding fathers, when you suggest that these are people that are just carried away by in, in what they perceive to be as injustice and their passionate seeking of truth and justice is leading them to these actions, you don't get to be surprised when people who don't think the way you do decide to implement the same tactics. You don't. So here's my question. What do they really want from us? Right? Do, do, you want, do you want discourse that's based off of logic and, and rationality and you know, following the science? Is that what you want? Absolutely not. God Be forbid they allow us to follow any science whatsoever. That is not what they want. If that's what they wanted, then... They wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't be fighting us so much. It's. It, they wouldn't be censoring us every time that we bring up actual scientific fact. No, that's not what they want. That's no, never well, been I mean, what so they what want. What do they want? Well, and I, I would say clearly because we, we also saw. And again, for anybody that's saying, "Well, that's just your impression. That, that's just your impression. That's just your rendition." No, I remember it. I remember a thing. We brought it up before on the show of a flyer going up in the Smithsonian that listed the scientific method and rational linear thought as attributes of whiteness. And they did not mean that as a compliment to white people. They meant it as a pejorative, which is one insulting because no, those are not attributes of whiteness. Those are just reflections of reality. And the idea that you would tell a minority that doesn't belong to you is inherently racist in my opinion. But no, you don't just want that because you're willing to throw it out and abandon it the moment it conflicts 
or collides with whatever your policy objectives are. So maybe it's maybe it's just you want us all to calm down with, with the whole stuff about elections. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you'll come right out and make all, all sorts of ridiculous claims about elections, about election law, when it suits your purpose. Maybe it's just civility. Maybe, you know, what you want is, regardless of what you think about election law, regardless of what you think about narrative versus logic, maybe we can all just do with a, a little bit more civility. I sat there on the floor of the House of Delegates for two weeks being called a racist, a bigot, getting compared to segregationists, getting paired to Nazis, because I disagreed with the gun laws the Democrats were trying to pass. And if you want a little bit of hard history, because Democrats are always crying for hard history, you want some hard history? Here it is. Most of the gun laws that were passed in this country, early on in this country's history, most of them in the South were racist in nature. Explicitly so. Explicitly so. But if I stand there and I say, I don't think the gun control bill that you want is going to achieve the shared objective, which is to have less people misusing firearms. If I say that, you feel perfectly, perfectly at peace with comparing me to racist segregationists and Nazis. And I'm supposed to sit there and take it. Well, one day I got tired of taking it. And so I got up and I actually gave what I thought was a fairly well-reasoned argument for why we see the issue differently. Yeah, but for when, the next, when for the next two to three days, for the next two to three days, I was lambasted by the other side of the aisle. When confronted with their hard history, you oh. had a few leave in tears. In tears. You they were had to also collect themselves. They had to, they had to call a recess in order yeah. to collect themselves yeah. and come back and say, I have never been thus offended. offended. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nick was also lambasted in the press. I remember the... Remember what the Richmond Times Dispatch wrote about that speech? Oh, yeah. Delegate Freitas suggests that abortion leads to mass shootings. Which was interesting because the guy, the, the journalist that came up asked me that question on the floor. He goes, Are you saying this? I said, I don't even know where you got that from what my comments were. I said, Here's what I said, here's what I meant, and here's how I explained it. Didn't matter. The headline read the same way because mm -hmm. they had a goal and they had an agenda. And that agenda was not to expose people to what I actually said. That agenda was to color what I said in such a way as to try to make it look as bad as possible in order to achieve the left's agenda. Mm -hmm. So as I look at all of this, like I, if you really want to get to discourse, if you really want to get to civility, that requires reciprocation. That is a two-way street. Now, I will never advocate, I will never advocate doing evil in order to achieve a good. I don't believe that. Not I do possible. not believe, I do not believe that the ends justify the means. So I will continue. I will continue to hold my own side accountable when I think they're doing things that I don't agree with or that I think are wrong or untruthful. But this whole idea of every time that we bring out, because Tina, you brought this up earlier or yesterday when we were talking about this, the moment we talk about this, you know what? I, I guarantee you, there's somebody on the left watching this going, well, that's a lot of whataboutism. Let me tell you the difference here. No, it's hypocrisy. If, yes. If everything that you are accusing us of doing is something that I can point to you doing and specifically chronologically doing first, then at some point I'm going to say, don't you think that X might've led to Y or X might've had something to do with Y taking place. And if your answer is, well, that's what about ism you, you, you have ignored an argument. You haven't made one. So look, th this is real simple. I like your conclusion that you, you, don't be surprised to see after the left has has first claimed that elections were stolen, endorsed 
violence against their political enemies, have caricatured their political enemies as literally being fascists and Hitler. I can't tell you how many times I've been accused of being a fascist. And then yeah. no matter how many times I try to explain, uh, fascism is actually state corporatism. Yeah. Which is not what I sport. Doesn't matter. I'm still a fascist because I've got an R next to my name, right? And and those three things, right? Acute, the election stuff, the violent rioting, or just violence in general stuff, and then using extreme labels to describe somebody that disagrees with you. I'm sorry, but fascism. If everybody who disagrees with you is a fascist, then fascism has no meaning. Well, and those three things. When they do that, and then they turn around and they say, "Woe is me! How is the right doing this?" I, I, you said it perfectly. Don't be surprised to see certain elements of the right. Th thank God it's not everybody on the right. But don't be surprised to see some people on the right throw their hands up in the air and say, I'm not going to play by – those are the rules that we're going to play by? So be it. We'll play by those rules then. Yeah. So, Nick, what is the answer? Is all of this just going to get progressively worse? It <laughs> – I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you the bad news and then the good news. We'll sure. end on the good news. The bad news is, is that Sam Harris, uh, Sam Harris is a, is part of the new atheist, but he's been someone that's, you know, he's been on Ben Shapiro and he's talked a lot about this whole freedom of discourse and free speech and the idea that, look, regardless of how we feel about each other's political positions, we should still be able to sit down and come together and talk about them. And, and there's been this element within the left that has been kind of Bill Maher, has more and more right. been kind of taking this position of the idea that, look, we, we can we can go after each other, we can have hard races, we can do all of that, but we still have to be able to have discourse. Sure. Sam Harris was, was got a lot of attention because he was recently on a podcast where he basically came out and said that the suppression of information with respect to Hunter Biden's laptop was worth it, and he doesn't care what happens because the bottom line is that needed to be suppressed in order to help Joe Biden win. Now, if you're going to start saying that your opponents are so bad that news stories should be officially suppressed. And they now have evidence based off of a, another lawsuit with a doctor that was talking about COVID where he, he actually made an argument and won that the White House was actively going and telling social media. And so for all these people that were saying, well, if you don't like Twitter, get off it. It's a private company. Right. They now have evidence between conversations that the White House was actively encouraging social media platforms to shut down specific accounts. If you're willing to accept that sort of government-sponsored suppression of information in order to win, then yes, this is going to get progressively worse. Because you will create, once you have created a scenario, once you've created a situation where you have said, we are no longer going to allow for open dialogue, even with people that we vehemently disagree with, that we will use active government suppression, that we will champion some people who engage in violence-based political activism, provided that it's in line with what we believe or our objectives. If you're going to continue to do that, this is going to be progressively worse because at some point you're going to get enough people across all political spectrums that say, this is just the way it's done now. I don't want that to be the case. I, I, I have a great deal of respect for anyone that I can sit down with and, and have just an open and honest conversation. And we, we might completely disagree. But there's two factors here that are absolutely critical. One, you have to be able to say that I'm not going to assume your motives are evil unless you demonstrate to me that they are. Right? This whole idea that you should never question anyone's motives, no. When someone demonstrates to you they have bad motives, question them. 
But before that, if someone is willing to sit down and have a discussion and say, I want to better understand, then you should be willing to have that dialogue. And you should be willing to have that dialogue with a whole host of people that you might not agree with. The second component is this. We had better get... We had better once again re-embrace this idea that not every problem or challenge that we face can be decided by Congress or the president or the attorney general or whoever it is, especially not at the federal level. If, if, if your solution to every problem is a mandated violence-backed solution from Washington, D.C., you are creating a recipe for disaster. Not because there aren't legitimate functions of the federal government. Not because there aren't legitimate functions of even your state or your local governments. But we had better get used to once again re-engaging in a society where peaceful people can identify a problem, work on different solutions to the problem within the voluntary cooperation of civil society or the marketplace of ideas or the marketplace for goods and services. And then we can find out through different ideas, what works best with the understanding that in many of these cases, it isn't just a one-size-fits-all solution. And it certainly isn't a one-size-fits-all solution imposed by those with the best political connections. But that's going to, in, in order to remove so much of the hostility from the conversation, you have to be willing to engage in genuine coexistence, which is not a bumper sticker you have on your car, it is the ability to resist the urge to coerce those whom you can't convince. If somebody is not directly infringing on your rights, your property, your liberties, let them be. You might not agree with what they're doing, but genuine freedom is not the right to be able to elect political representation every one to two to four years. It's about being able to go out and live your life the way you want, provided you don't infringe on the rights and liberties of others, and to let them do the same. So I think that's critical. And I think if we can once again embrace that, then you will actually have an area of far more civil discourse. You will actually have a far more robust marketplace of both ideas and commerce where different things can be tried. And if they fail because people don't like them, that they fail. But at the very least, at least we didn't choose violence as the first way to solve a problem, either through the sort of violent actions that we've seen both during the summer of 2020 and on January 6th, or violence delegated to a government body to impose your will on everybody else to force them to live in a way that you think they should. Let's get back to more volunteerism. That's the way you get back to more civility in politics and civil discourse as a whole. All right. Listen, I, I know this was a uh, this kind of a tense one, uh, but again, that original tweet from General Hayden, I just I wasn't going to let that go uh, because that's the sort of, again, when you ask the question, how does this get progressively worse? When stuff like that can be said by prominent members like that, what they're actually doing is they're encouraging violence against people that they disagree with. When, when burning down a 7-Eleven in Milwaukee is considered a legitimate form of protest, but questioning someone on the legitimacy of some of the aspects of gender theory is considered an act of violence. Again, they're not just doing that to shut down debate. People are doing that in order to give themselves proper motive and conditions in order to be able to use violence against their political opponents. And when General Hayden says that if you're a Republican in this country, you're worse than ISIS, he's setting up that sort of you know, illegitimate, 
violent action toward others, and he's trying to give it an air of political legitimacy, and that cannot be accepted by either side. No matter where you fall on the political spectrum, if you adopt that, then yeah, this is going to get progressively worse. But I still think there's enough Americans that reject that sort of thinking and reject that sort of hyperbolic categorization. So once again, thank you for joining us this episode. Join our volley chat. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Um, again, the, link those, in the description. Yeah, the, the link for the uh, volley chat is in the description. That has been a a, a really good. I got to give Hamilton a lot of credit. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. We've gotten to know um, a, a lot of our, our listeners, a lot of our viewers. Uh, you know, th this show has benefited greatly from from their insight and their feedback. So, well, and, and like we've told everybody, our mission is to come to this table every, on every episode, empowering our folks to lead and have better conversations, more constructive conversations. And we can't possibly know if we are, you know, succeeding in that effort unless we're hearing from our folks. And we believe that this is the best way to communicate with our listeners. All right. Once again, thank you to everybody listening, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.